This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. Let's pray. Lord God, as, as we worship you today, we ask that you would direct us in our hearts and our minds, that you would refresh us and that you would renew us, that you would lead us to see you and to experience you. Pray this in the powerful and saving name of Jesus. Amen. I've heard that it's said that a sign of good character is when the person does the right thing when no one's around. The sign of good character is that when a person does the right thing when, when no one is looking. What do you think? Do you think that's a, a good definition of character? I think it's a good one, but I think there's, there's going to be more to it, though. And we'll get to that in just a minute. Okay. Today, we're continuing our series, David, the Imperfect King. Okay. And I want to get us all caught up to speed so that we're all in the, on the same page. In week one, we saw that God sent the prophet Samuel to a guy named Jesse to his house to anoint one of his sons to be king. And, and everybody was shocked. Everybody was blown away when God directed Samuel to anoint the youngest son in the family, a, a young boy named David. And what we saw through all of that, right, is, is that people, we look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And as we drill down even a little bit deeper in that story, what we saw was when you see Jesus, that's what you get. He's not changing. The next week, we, we went on and we went to one of the most famous of all stories in the Bible. People all over the world, whether they're Christian or not, know a lot about this story, the story of David and Goliath. And maybe you'll remember that that was a lopsided scenario. That actually Goliath, this giant, didn't stand a chance because God was with David. And so what we learned that, you know, it, it takes more than our effort. It, it takes more than our surrender. It takes more than even our faith. It takes Jesus to make us a champion. And then last week, we ran into Jonathan, King Saul's son, and how Jonathan and David became the best of friends. And as we looked into the scriptures, we saw that Jesus proved that he is our best friend by giving up his life for us. And today, what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk about character, okay? We're gonna talk about character. And just kind of to catch us up a little bit from last week to this week, some of the interim on that, is that King Saul is now afraid of David, 
okay? Uh, he, he is very fearful. He is jealous of David. He, he has this feeling, this fear that David is going to take his throne by power, and if not by power, by public opinion. And so King Saul goes on this pathological, psychopathic journey. He wants David to be done away with. But he doesn't want to do it because he wants to keep his name, all right? And so King Saul comes up with one scheme after another so that David would be done away with and King Saul would look good. So for example, this is what King Saul did. He promoted David to be a commander of a thousand troops, okay? From the outside, that looks great. And David is getting the honor that's due him and everything. But here's the real reason why King Saul made David commander of a thousand. So he could send David off into battle, battles where he would be outnumbered tremendously, battles where certainly David would be killed. Saul sent him out into battle and David came back victorious and Saul sent him out. He just kept going and, and Saul's plans, his scheme was thwarted. So he came up with another thing. And again, it looks so great on the outside. He said, you know, David, I'd really love for you to be my son-in-law. Let me give you my daughter in marriage. I mean, that looks great, man. It's amazing. What an honor too, to be the king's son-in-law. But here's the deal. The bride price was uh, a thousand Philistines foreskins from circumcision. <laughs> you know, a, a hundred uh, Philistines foreskins from circumcision. Just understand, that's not going to happen without a battle, right? They're not just going to let this happen. And King Saul knows that, you know, there's no way David's coming back from that. But he does. And King Saul's psychopathic journey begins to go even, even deeper, right? He starts to twist the truth. He starts to take things out of context. He starts to try and convince the whole nation that David is actually against him, King Saul. And so he has every right to go after David. What is happening here is King Saul is gaslighting the whole nation. Okay? This is what the scripture says. He said to them, this is King Saul speaking, listen, men of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give all of you fields and vineyards? As if to say that Saul's been doing that. Okay. Will he make all of you commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? As if Saul had been doing that for everyone. Is that why you have conspired against me? No one tells me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is concerned about me or, or tells me that my son has incited my servant to lie in wait for me as he does today. Saul's gone off the deep end. He's a pathological liar. 
through this gaslighting again, he has, he's made the stage so that he can go after David. And so King Saul goes hunting, all right? Not deer or ducks, but David. He goes hunting for David. Part of the military strategy was for King Saul to send out spies throughout the whole land so that they could get a fix on David's location. And when they found David, they would send word back to Saul that we know the area he's at, come and get him. And sure enough, that's what happens, right? It doesn't take long before the spies find out where David's at, the general location. They send word back to Saul and Saul gets 3,000 of his elite troops and they are out. They are on the move. They can't get there quick enough because they know if they don't get there in time, David will move around. It'll be hard to find him. Because have you, have you ever been on a road trip and you just want to make good time, right? You want to hurry up and, and get to your destination so that you can enjoy it and, and you can relax and everything. And, and you're on the highway and you're making great time. Everything is going smooth. And then all of a sudden there's this voice from somewhere in the car that says, I got to go to the bathroom. Hmm? And you're, uh, you know, and, and so you got to get off the highway, go to a restaurant, rest uh, stop, go to a gas station or, you know, maybe one of those oases like they have in northern Illinois. And you start to lose time. Have you, have you ever noticed that if it's the driver of the car that has to go to the bathroom, that that dri- never misses an exit or a rest stop? Oh, sorry, just reliving some PTSD from when I was small, all right? So King Saul and, and his men, they're, they're tracking David. They're making great time. Uh, they're going through the desert like crazy. They're flying through there. They, they come into this beautiful spot in the middle of the desert. It's called in Getty. It is, it is an oasis. In the middle of the desert, it's green. There's water. There's cool caves. All of that stuff. They're just making great time. And then suddenly, someone's got to go to the bathroom. But it's King Saul. So they stop right away. Saul jumps off his horse, goes into one of those cool caves that's right there. And and he makes his way in just so he's kind of like out of eyesight of everybody out there, right? And he finds a place to relieve himself. Shockingly, surprisingly enough, the cave he goes into is the very cave that David and his men are hiding out in. And when they see Saul come in to that cave, their very first thought is, oh no, oh no. Here comes King Saul. He's leading those 3,000 elite troops into this cave. We're caught, we're trapped. There's no way out the back door. There is no back door. We're done. But when they see Saul lift up his robe to relieve himself, oh, they're relieved. They can't believe it. This is awesome. This is an amazing opportunity. 
Saul is not here with 3,000 troops. He's here all alone. This is an amazing opportunity. And it is an incredible test of character. Because you see, now David is in the position of power. And his men, who have been long gone from their families, who've been gone for way too many days at night, who have been on the lamb, whose lives are at risk, are encouraging David. David, God's anointed you to be the next king of Israel. Go up there, kill Saul, and you will be king. We've been supporting you all along. You will be king. We will continue our support. You will be king, and we can go home. Go get Saul and kill him. And so David begins to walk through that cool cave towards Saul. Saul has no idea that anyone else is in the cave. And as David makes his way quietly up by Saul, he pulls out his sword and lifts it up. And what would you do? What would you do with all of your friends encouraging you to take out your enemy? And David's got his sword lifted up and he goes towards Saul and he cuts off the corner of Saul's robe. And David begins to quietly walk back to the back of the cave. And when he gets back there, the men are like, we didn't hear anything. Were you able to get him? Were you able to get him? Did you cut his head off? And David's like, no, I didn't get him, but I got a piece of his robe. Like, what? What are you doing? And see, here is the important part of the account for you and me. Because this is the part that talks about the worldview of character. In your worldview of character, who's at the center of your view? For King Saul, he was at the center of his view. It's all about me. I'm at the center of my worldview. Whatever needs to happen for my good, that just makes sense. That's logical. That's reasonable. That's what should be done. It's all about me and what I want and what I want to accomplish. For David, his worldview was that God was at the center. 
It wasn't about him. It was about God. When when we live with a, I'm at the center worldview, uh, there can be short-term good results or seemingly good results. There can be the, the, the tension can just disappear. Give the appearance of being in control. You know, for, for example, if, if Saul is gone, the tension is gone and David is king. But, and you know this, when God is at the center of our worldview, Sometimes we remain in the tension longer than we might want. With God at the center, things aren't always easy. Things don't always turn out the way we want. We're working on God's timing, not our own. And so David says, right? God has anointed Saul to be king. God has anointed me to be king too, but he has not anointed me to take King Saul out. Life and death are not in my hands, they're in God's hands. I'm not going to cross that line no matter how beneficial it might be for me, at least from the outside. See, here's character. Character is not just doing the right thing when nobody is looking, but also doing the right thing when people are cheering and encouraging you to do the wrong thing. That's character. So David's back deep in the cave and Saul has finished his business. He goes out of the cave, jumps on his horses, ready to lead his troops again, seeking out David when all of a sudden, This is what happens. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, my Lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See my father? Look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. 
I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Character. What was abundantly clear to everybody there, to those 3,000 troops and to Saul who, who were shocked to hear those voice coming from the king. What was abundantly clear to them and all 1,000 of David's troops too is that Saul came into that cave as king, but David could have come out of that cave as king. For Saul and his men, their hearts had dropped down into their stomach. And they saw character. But before we go ahead and, and put the crown of good character on David's head, remember, he cut off a piece of King Saul's robe. And if you don't think that's a big deal, just imagine this. Imagine you're on a, a road trip and you need to stop at Quick Trip for a quick trip, okay? And when you're in the stall, someone unbeknownst to you comes and cuts a piece of your shorts off. And when you get ready to leave, you notice someone's cut your shorts. Are you thinking of the person that did that? This is my friend. You're going, you're just a freak. Somebody violated me. You know, you're going to the front, you're calling the police. Right? See, David passes part of the character test, but fails in another part. And David's character flaws and failures will show up again in horrific ways before his life is over. How about you? Have you always done the right thing when no one's looking? Have you always done the, the right thing when people are cheering and encouraging you to do the wrong thing? I can't tell you how I wish I could stand before you and tell you I, I never screwed up. I don't, I don't have any character flaws and, and failures, but... <laughs> That wouldn't be true, right? 
I wish I could tell you that my character flaws and failures were all about that time like when I was in high school and college and, and I was just growing up and, you know, trying to figure it all out. I can't do that either. How about you? Really? about you. You know there's one who never failed any character test. There's one who has no character flaws whatsoever. Jesus. He passed Every single test, every single time, no matter what, he kept his worldview on his heavenly father. Uh, I'm going to share sometimes with you real quick here uh, about opportunities, pressure points in Jesus' life where he had the opportunity to do something different and nobody would have blamed him. Nobody would have blamed him at all. First one, it's less than 24 hours before he's going to die. And Jesus knows that he's going to die. And Jesus knows exactly how he's going to die and how horrible it is and all of that. And Jesus, he goes off and he prays. He says, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Dad, Jesus is praying, Dad, this, this is going down. This is, this is going to be, Dad. But not my will, but yours. Just a, a little while later, the enemy comes to arrest Jesus. Again, keep in mind, he has no character flaws, failures. This is a, a horrible arrest. It should never happen, right? They come to arrest Jesus. Peter, one of Jesus' followers, grabs his sword out and starts the battle. There's no way Peter's letting this go down. He even cuts off a, a servant's ear that was there. And, and what does Jesus do? Does he join in the battle? No, he goes, no, Peter, Peter, Peter. This is what he says. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to Peter, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Put it down, Peter. I, I could call on my heavenly father and he would send thousands of angels and this would all be over in a nanosecond. We wouldn't have to do anything, be all over, but... It's not about me. It's about my father's will. And then just a, a little while later from that, Jesus is now crucified. He's on the cross. He's paying for your sins and mine, the sins of the whole world, all that weight, all that weight of sin, all time, all people, all on Jesus. 
And while he's there with his body ripped apart from the whipping and his arms and legs crucified, nailed to the cross, people come and they're mocking him and they say, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself, come down from the cross if you are the son of God. Oh man, I want you to know that was, that was horrific temptation. You know, if it's you and I on the cross and someone is there saying, come down from the cross, that would just add to the emotional pain of the situation. But there'd be no temptation there because you and I couldn't come down from the cross. But for Jesus, it added to the emotional, the physical, the mental, the spiritual pain. And for Jesus, it was a horrific temptation because he's God Almighty. He could have come down from the cross right then. And that'd be it. That would show them. But he stayed on the cross. You know why he stayed on the cross? He stayed on the cross to pay for in full every character flaw and failure of all people of all time, including yours and mine. Jesus stayed on the cross so that you and I could see that the character of God never changes no matter what. Stayed on the cross so that you and I could see just how far God will go for us. He stayed on the cross to show you how much he loves you. Because of the character of Jesus, you and I have the perfect king and the perfect and only savior. Here's the thing. The more you and I move from a I'm at the center worldview to the worldview where God is at the center, the more you and I will love others and love God. And so you and I will not just do the right thing when nobody's looking, but also do the right thing when people are cheering and encouraging us to do the wrong thing. That's character. Let's pray. Lord God, you see the times 
where we failed. You see all of our flaws. Lord, help us to see you and your character. No flaws, no failures. All for us. Lord, as we look at you, help us to see your glory and truly place you at the center of our lives every day in every way, no matter the circumstances. We pray this in our Savior, Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.